In today's episode of Revival Podcast, we're looking at lessons learned while living through a move of God. And I'm delighted to be joined by Lydia Marrow from Shake the Nations, who has lived through some of those moves of God. Welcome to the Revival Podcast with me, Steve Uppall. It's an absolute delight for me today to welcome one of our dear friends, Lydia Marrow, who's part of Shake the Nations Ministries. Lydia, thank you so much for being a part of this program today. Oh, it's my joy, Pastor Steve. We love our All Nations family. We sure do miss getting to be there in person with you and Esther and the whole family. We love uh, the UK and we are ready to be able to get on an airplane and come back. We just got to get oh, COVID wait. calm down. And we are waiting for you to come. I know we had to cancel something last year, but really looking forward. I mean, some of my great highlights have been when you and the team, Nathan, are here and there's such a weighty sense of God's glory. There's been some key turning points in my life in those moments. Um, as a way of introduction, you're married to Nathan Marrow, who also is a part of the Shake the Nations team and uh, kind of directs so much of the ministry and looks after so much. And you've got two gorgeous boys. Is yes. it Malachi and Elijah? Malachi and Jeremiah, but sometimes Jeremiah. we remember them. <laughs> you wow. know how that goes. It's hard to keep all the kiddos straight. We say Mala Jeremiah and Jeremiah all the time. So, <laughs> Wow. You, I don't know whether they're prophetic names. and You've got some wild people coming up there. It's the truth. We didn't know that naming your kids prophet names would do stuff, but I'm telling you right now, they keep us on our toes. They are the reason that this is no longer my natural hair color. <laughs> well, it's, it's so good uh, for me to be able to interview you for a few moments. The, the subject of the whole series of podcasts is the subject of revival. And with different guests, I'm looking at slightly different subjects or themes in that subject. And I know your story in particular is intriguing uh, because of what you've lived through, both with regular attendance at Pensacola in the late 90s, and then also being a very strong part, integral part of what God was doing in the Bay of the Holy Spirit revival, I think from about 2010 onwards. And so not only have you kind of have the subject of revival somewhere in the distance that we're longing for, praying for, but you've lived through some stuff. So, um, yeah, I'll maybe let you make a comment and then I'm going to throw maybe a provocative question in there as well about those two things. But you obviously live through Pensacola and bear the Holy Spirit. So I would love your input into what we're what we're doing. I'll give you the provocative question. Actually, I'll just say it. Let's do it. Were they were, were Pensacola and bear the Spirit? Were they revivals or were they renewals? Music? I mean, how do we define it and how do we define revival. It's, it's just my kind of thinking sure. through. Absolutely. Well, for, for me, I had to, for, for many years, I would watch as people would come in and out of Brownsville or into the Bay, maybe as guest speakers, and they would try to define revival. And it always kind of, it did not set well with me, if I'm honest, because these were people that weren't there. And they're trying to speak into that, which they had not prayed in. I don't know. It felt it felt a little off to me. And I think the Holy Spirit used that to provoke me to study harder, to be honest. And uh, what I found was the simplest thing for me was to anchor myself to the book of Acts in a very practical way. 
Because I begin to realize as I studied the book of Acts, it's not the highlight reel of the early church. It wasn't the greatest hits album. It wasn't, it wasn't that at all. Dr. Luke was giving us a glimpse at what daily life in the early church really was. To follow Jesus, this is what it looked like. And so what I begin to realize, my personal definition of revival became, in fact, it's a bit British, to be honest with you. Um, I'm a little influenced. I've married into this thing. So I, I, it's just a little bit British. We have to mind the gap. The, the gap is the distance between my daily life and what I see written in the book of Acts. My daily life as a follower of Jesus Christ, whatever does not match what I read in the early church account of the book of Acts, that's where I need revival. So revival occurs when God comes by his spirit to close the gap between my daily experience and the book of Acts. I would say that both Brownsville and the Bay were revivals. I don't like to make too much of a, of a distinction between revival and renewal, specifically because what we find is that as we go through life, um, we become cold and it, our, we gravitate toward coldness, dryness, and deadness. Revival in the Hebrew, um, when you go into in Psalm 119, verse 88, uh, David said, revive me according to your loving kindness so that I may keep the testimony of your mouth. The word revive means to come alive again. This is revival. Wherever we have become lax, lazy, cold, hard, dead, whatever vocabulary word you choose, it's when God comes by his spirit and gets the paddles and says clear and zaps you back to life. I, I believe that um, in Brownsville, the Lord restored the, the message of repentance uh, through evangelist Steve Hill. It was, you have to live holy. It was a holiness message. It was, he would say things like, you can go to hell with waters of baptism streaming down your face. You can go to hell with communion juice in your hand and the bread in your mouth. You have got to be living right with God. He would say things like, if the first thought in your mind when you woke up wasn't Jesus, I question your salvation. It was a, an extreme call to holiness. With the Bay Revival, what God was bringing back to life was the message that these signs follow those who believe. While Nathan preached repentance in a lot of ways that were very similar to Evangelist Steve, the miracles were off the charts and God was restoring the miraculous supernatural nature of what it means to walk with God. So in both of those cases, God was closing the gap. It wasn't a preference of one message over the other. As somebody that was at both I can't choose between evangelist Steve or evangelist Nathan. That was, yeah. that's an apples and oranges kind of thing. It, it's both. I need both. I need to live holy and repent and practice repentance. And I need to understand that the miraculous is the inheritance of the church. That's something that's not for the fivefold. That's if you know, Jesus, these signs follow those who believe. So I believe that that's what God sends revival for. It's why I believe, Pastor Steve, that the next move may not look like Brownsville or the Bay. And I decided as somebody that was, you know, a lot of people that were in previous revivals are the first people to judge the next move. And I'm determined to stay very low, to stay very humble and say, Jesus, I don't care what it looks like. All I know is I've got to have it. What I do know is I will be able to trace it back to the book of Acts, because that book of Acts is the blueprint for what revival looks like. Yeah, very, very good. I, really helpful for me to hear that as well. I agree with your definition of revival, something that's a dying, being revived back to life. And uh, yeah, it's easy to be a theorist, kind of standing on the sidelines, having never been in or experienced 
but having lots of opinion about what may or may not have happened, how it should have happened. And so as somebody who's been in the midst of those two moves of God to be able to speak as you are, mm. uh, value the richness of it. Would you share with us and those watching today or listening some key moments? I, I think when somebody who's lived through something shares some of what they've lived through, it, yeah. it can help awaken a thirst and a hunger in other people. So whether it's the Bay or in Pensacola, uh, Brownsville, sure. then just any of those, is there, is there one or two key moments? I know there's probably many that you think, I remember that and I remember the presence of God there or I remember how I felt then or Absolutely. I don't know. It'd just be helpful to hear that. Absolutely. There are, there are moments in those revivals that have defined everything about who I am. It changes the way I parent it informs mine and Nathan's marriage. It, it is, it is everything to the ministry. I, I, there are, there are landmark moments that you can't possibly get over, you know? Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll try to do it fast. This is the most dangerous question that you possibly could have asked, but, but um, for, for, for me, when it began at Brownsville, you know, I am, um, third generation Pentecostal on both sides of the family, which probably accounts for quite a bit of my craziness, I'm sure. But, but I prayed, I remember I prayed the sinner's prayer. I understood the gospel and prayed the sinner's prayer for the first time when I was five years old, with my grandmother preaching a children's meeting, um, like a little kid's camp in the state of Georgia here in the U.S. And I, I understood the gospel and I prayed to receive Christ, but I don't remember him becoming everything. So, but I remembered the first night that we went to the Browns revival. I had, I just had no frame of reference for what we encountered. I mean, um, uh, I, I don't do Celsius really well. We do Fahrenheit, but I can tell you that in March of 96, the first time we went to the Browns revival, the weather was below freezing for sure. Um, it actually can get cold at the beach. I, don't, I mean, it's weird, but it can happen. And uh, Florida is not always sunny. It was absolutely ice cold, but we still got the sea breezes. I say that to say as cold as it was when we pulled onto the park or the car park at Brownsville, people were lined up to get into that church in freezing cold and in pretty high winds that would blow right through you. And I was like, why are people lined up to go to church? Like, what is happening here? What is going on? The sanctuary of Brownsville seats comfortably about 2,200 people. You can squeeze in somewhere knocking on the door of 2,500. It filled within 60 seconds to capacity. Um, I'm sure there's actually YouTube footage of that somewhere. You can actually watch the security camera as the sanctuary fills up in 60 seconds. It's unbelievable. And we, we, we get in there and like the presence of the Lord. I know now as, a, as an adult that the Hebrew word for glory is kabod. It means the weight of, of who God is, the, the weightiness of his character. Walking in that room, I had no idea what kabod was, but I felt the pressure on my lungs. That it was The air was heavy with his presence. It was unbelievable. They worshiped for two and a half hours. And I know that before the broadcast started, you and I were talking about how maybe the old wineskin isn't going to hold what's coming. 
I don't know a lot of people that wouldn't freak out over two and a half hours. Most people start getting nervous at the 30 minute mark. And I'm like, of course, I always get chuckle about that as a, as a worship pastor anyway, because I'm like, some of y'all going to need a period of adjustment when we get to heaven. And that's all we do is worship. Y'all going to have some problems with that little period of adjustment. But they worship for two and a half hours. The, um, they took an intermission. I thought Pastor Kirkpatrick was about to end the service. They took an intermission, said we're going to take a little bathroom break. Y'all come back in about 10 minutes. Like continue with some more worship evangelist steve preached and everything was an emergency he was preaching like a crazy man you've got to get right with god get the sin out of your life and tears streaming down his face but he was preaching hardcore holiness he gives an altar call and a thousand people are born again in a moment i'd never seen that many people get saved and i remember when we got prayer we we go down to the altar the Lord met us in such a powerful way. I, it felt like someone plugged my life into a current of electricity. And I'd never met Jesus like that before. It was, and I was only 11 years old. I was, I was only a couple of months away from my 12th birthday. I don't know an 11 year old that will fake falling out under the power for you. It was crazy. I was down for half an hour, just feeling the power of God course through my body. When I got up, I used to be bound by fear. I used to know, I knew that the Lord had called me to worship ministry and I would hide in my room and say, Jesus, I know you've called me to do this, but I cannot do this. I cannot do this. You Don't take your hand off me, but I can't do this. I can't get up in front of people. I thank God he didn't tell me I had to preach. I would have ran right out of the church. But when the Lord touched me at Brownsville that night, I was never the same again. My whole family was wrecked in a moment. It changed our church. Everybody that had been pretending to be saved actually got saved for real. And we, the culture of the church changed in about six months period. The church totally changed to white hot on fire for God. The people I'm talking about are still messed up today by the Holy Ghost. I know that for the Bay, when the Bay happened, you know, I don't know that any of us that were touched at Brownsville, I don't know that we would have been arrogant enough to think that the Lord was going to put us all in the same room in another move. I think that it was this question pending in our hearts. Can lightning strike twice? Um, we didn't want to presume anything because of course God can use other people. Of course God can use other ministries. And we were so open to that. Um, but the night that the bay broke out, I remember, um, I was the first person that the Lord touched at the bay. I, I don't know why, probably because I was the one with the worst attitude at the moment um, because it was cold. We had the air con cranking in that room because in the U S in July, we are not getting hot. We're just not going to do it. And it was so hot outside. We had the air con on Arctic in the, in the building and, um, it was toward the end of the evening. The service has gone on for ages. It's the final night of a conference that's been going on for nine sessions, I think it was. And here comes Nathan Morris. God bless him. He was so crazy. And like, I, I was like, nobody warned us about this guy. And he's running around the room and I'm going, oh, my Lord, can we put him back on a plane to the United Kingdom? I mean, it was it was intense. I'd, I just I was exhausted more than anything else. And Nathan said, we're going to pray for everyone who wants prayer. And Lydia is going to lead worship while we do. He didn't know me. I didn't know him. And there's about a thousand people in the room. I did not want to lead worship for the approximately two hours it would have taken to pray for all those people. I just didn't want to do it. I was exhausted. My voice was gone. When I looked at the guy standing next to me, the usher, 
And I said, man, you better tell the guys in the sound booth to put on a worship CD because I am never going to make it. My voice is not going to last. This guy's crazy. And right as I said that, the fire of God swept across the platform. It hit me right below my rib cage. And I understand, Pastor Steve, that many people have been taught that the Holy Spirit's a gentleman, so they're not going to like what I'm about to say. But the power of God lifted me right off my feet, picked me up and body slammed me. He did not ask my permission. He did not ask my opinion. Um, and I was down. And I mean, the fire of the Holy Spirit was so hot. I felt like the flesh was going to burn off my bones. I thought I was slipping into eternity. I didn't think this was an experience I could survive. It was that intense. And I said, Lord, what are you doing? What is this? And he said, it's the last night of the Open the Heavens conference. You didn't think I'd let it get to here without doing it, did you? And in a moment, like I'm listening, I can't even get my eyes open anymore. The power of God was so strong. I'm listening to chairs hitting the ground. It sounds like someone has opened up machine gun fire in the room. I looked later when they, when I finally was able to sit up, half the room is on the floor. Nobody's laying hands on anybody, but the room is decimated by the power of God. People begin to receive their healing. Nobody's touching them. Ears are opening. Uh, I remember a blind, a guy who was blind in his right eye who didn't even know Jesus. He was, he was healed in a moment. And because he got healed, he gave his life to Jesus just, and it marked us. It, it became an identifying marker of that revival. You can be healed without anybody touching you. You don't need the person on the platform to touch you, to be whole. People are giving their lives to Christ as a result of their miracle. It became a landmark moment. It was like, oh my goodness, God is so eager to pour out his spirit. He'll do it again. And he'll even override the leadership to do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and we were never the same. We've never been able. There's a level at which we contend for revival that is marked by those moments. The reason I believe God's opening up wells of revival in the United Kingdom is because of the fact that, that if he's going to pour out his spirit like that in the United States, the truth of the matter is we never have our revivals apart from one another. Even though we declared independence, UK and the United States, we never have revivals apart from one another. So if either one of our nations begin to step into a move, I watch for the other one to come to come into agreement and alignment with that because it's never happened. Historically, we always have our revivals together. So I don't know. I feel I feel like I could go on all day with revival testimonies, but when the Lord marks you like that, you can't ever be the same again. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Appreciate it. And I'm thinking. The Brownsville one that you were sharing, I've, I, I, either on the documentary I watched a while ago or talking, it might very well have been to yourself or some of those who've been there, that the draw for people and the reason they would come, the reason they would wait was that mm. sense of God's presence yeah. when they got into the room or even outside, they could begin to feel it Absolutely. as they stepped in. So something very magnetic or drawing or attractive about God and his presence within a room, um, which, yeah, which I've heard quite a few people. I've read about that. I've heard about that. I, I, I would like to think I'm a presence person, yeah. and there's been times I've experienced God's presence. Sure. But I think we, we live to the measure we know, mm -hmm. and yet there are greater revelations and measures of God available for us. And so when I hear that, I'm like, Lord, I want that. I want that weightiness of your presence. I think it was Duncan Campbell who was involved in the Hebrides who said, 
revival, his description was it's an atmosphere or people saturated with the presence of God. He himself makes himself irresistible and and the hardest sinner and the hardest heart melts in his presence and people are drawn to him. So, yeah, so I, I appreciate that description of Brownsville. I also appreciate the, the, the differentiating between the one had a real big emphasis on repentance and the other one, even though it had an emphasis on repentance, really saw lots of signs, wonders and miracles. And so value your input into or your comment about how you don't know the next time God does something, how he will do it. Sure. And we can't put him in a box. Uh, So, you know, Wesley's life 300 years ago was marked very much by repentance, trembling, um, real radical conversions that lasted a lifetime. And yet you you look at somebody like a John G. Lake who went to South Africa. There was repentance because you can't come to Christ without repentance. But actually that move of God throughout South Africa was marked primarily by incredible signs, wonders, and miracles. So we, we can't put God in a box, but I do wonder is in the future, will God do something that encapsulates all of it? And, and maybe even rather than just one geographic area, yeah. my conviction is it's going to break in multiple areas, which it. is why I'm, I'm sensing so many conversations, so many prophecies, so many people trying to get ready for what they think is coming. Maybe it's not just to one city or one region. Maybe wow. the Lord's about to do something in a way that he's not done it before. And I know in the Great Awakenings in America, they saw that. It wasn't just one town. It could spark, but it actually went through the whole of, a, the, whole of the nation or one side of the nation will be touched by the awakening. Right. That's right. Yeah. I, believe that, I believe that's so crucial as well. I mean, my, uh, one of my friends... Uh, that I've got close relationship with was actually at Brownsville the day that the Brownsville revival broke out. We have often talked about the fact that while Brownsville was occurring and we were there and we were so engrossed in what the Lord was doing, because that's where we were touched. There were also pockets of other moves happening here in North America that maybe we didn't even know about, but they were happening in other regions because God is so nice. He makes himself so available. But I tell you, I believe that what's coming, I believe it will be epicenters. I don't believe it's going to be just one church or one movement. I believe there will be epicenters of of what God's going to do. But I believe for me, one of the main things that keeps me going, um, even when we're tired and even when we don't feel, um, you know, like, like it's convenient, um, especially in the middle of a pandemic, we've had to come up with so many strategic ways to go after, um, revival in this climate where where our hands are tied to, you know with travel and things like that the reality of it is this if i drive to pensacola right now there's nothing happening I and mean, there's no revival happening i know there are great churches but there's such a drastic difference as you mentioned between good services and 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 even strong presence and revival in revival there's such a streamlined extremely focused concentrated sense of the presence of the Lord. It's just not the same as a few good services. So while there's good, good churches in Pensacola, there's nothing in revival. If I drive to the mobile convention center where the Bay revival happened, there's good churches in the area, but there is no move happening there right now. But I've got two little boys who have never been in a revival before. And I am convinced from the top of my head to the soles of my feet, we owe the next generation a move of God. That's what makes me pray. That's what makes me fast. I'll be honest. I hate fasting. 
it, it is uncomfortable to my flesh. I don't like it one little bit, but that's the whole point. It's to crucify my flesh. So what makes me get up and pray? What makes me fast? What makes me contend? What makes me pray in the Holy Spirit more than what, what would probably be normal for some folks? These boys provoke me to cry out for a move of God. I'm not doing it so that people will be impressed with Shake the Nations. I don't care about that stuff. It is of no consequence. Thank you, baby. Move away. I don't care anything about that. It's that these kids can encounter a move of God like they've never seen before. We owe the next generation a move of God. Yeah. Very, very good. You're doing really well there. Real life. So, <laughs> Real life. Question. How nope. do we... How do we, or how did they, Pensacola and at Bay, how did they prepare for what was coming? So in other words, is there a pathway to a move of God? And if there is, what is it? I believe that many people try to shortcut the place of prayer, but the place of prayer is the key to the whole thing. Brownsville prayed. We have a liftoff occurring right now. I, I am sorry about the interference here. Hey, baby. Please take that back to the other room. Okay. Go on now. So what, what Brownsville did was they replaced one of their weekly services with a prayer meeting. And they did that for two and a half years. It wasn't for a short time. And it was at a time where in the United States, I know that there was some similar uh, church culture things happening in the UK where Sunday night meeting was more like your gospel service. And it was, you didn't replace that with anything. It was the main thing. And in the U S that was very much um, what we would call a sacred cow. It was, you just did not mess with the Sunday night structure. You didn't do it. And the Lord told Pastor Kilpatrick, do away with your Sunday night meeting and replace it with a prayer meeting. And everybody thought he was crazy. And the enemy told him he was crazy. And he played mind games with himself on that. It was a huge deal. It was, it was a, a major thing to do, but that, two and a half years of prayer. Well, it felt awkward at first. The more they did it, the more they pressed into prayer, the more they sought the Lord. No one wanted to go home from those prayer meetings. And that's what set the table for the revival that was poured out on June 18th, Father's Day, 1995. For those of us at the Bay, we didn't even have a church building at the time. We were meeting in public buildings. So we had nowhere to go for a midweek prayer meeting or a Sunday night prayer meeting. So a lot of the prayer meetings that were occurring were just all of us together in homes. And I felt like something was so Acts, Book of Acts about that, meeting in each other's homes. We would meet together. Somebody might provide, you know, some, some, some starters or something and some coffee. And you just ended up in everybody's carpet crying um, out to God, Lord, we don't want to presume that you're going to do it with our ministry there was so much of that for us. We didn't want to presume that just because John Kilpatrick was our pastor and a lot of us had gone to Brownsville, we didn't want to assume that God was going to use our ministry to use it. We didn't want to get arrogant with that, but it was God, if you need, if you're looking for somebody, here we are. And if you want to do something, here we are. And, and, and we don't care if it's us or not, but if you would just visit this nation with your spirit, we will serve the visitation. Um, very, very good. There was so much of that. I think that a lot of times in Western Christianity, we look for someone for God to use somebody individually, like a Steve Hill, John Kilpatrick, Nathan Morris, or fill in the blank. Um, and I think that that is so dangerous because we end up accidentally putting people on a pedestal and accidentally idolizing an individual. And their walk with God. But what God is requiring is that we meet him in the place of prayer. 
We set the table for a move of God in the place of prayer. And then when he does visit, all of the peripheral things have to, it, they end up falling by the wayside. Even good things have to go because of the streamlined nature that revival brings. You just are so intensely focused um, that it just, it goes by the wayside. It's yeah, really yeah. best facilitated by a family crying out in prayer. Amen. Very, very good. Really helpful. And, and I guess we all know that, but it's worth hearing it, that it, it's consistent. It's inconvenient. I often say prayer is inconvenient. It's, it's never a good day to fast. It's never a good day to pray. There's always a thousand reasons why we shouldn't and what other things are knocking at the door of our diaries and calendars. And yet, I, I don't think the Lord responds to anything other than a heartfelt, anguished cry for him. So uh, that's helpful to hear. So that was the journey in. And we've looked at some of what was happening. Only a cursory look. I'm aware that we yeah. could dig into healings. We could dig into stories. There was so much that happened. Mm. But then what was the journey out? And so the, I guess the bay isn't happening at the moment in the same way. Brownsville isn't happening. Yeah. Is, is, so is it because there was supposed to last a time frame and that's it? Is it because we get in the way? I don't know. So I'm just, what was the, we've looked at what it was. We looked at what the pathway in was. What was the pathway out and should it have been the pathway out? So just yeah. curious. Yeah. I mean, sure. I wasn't as in on some of the um, internal workings of, of Brownsville in that regard, but I do, I do remember watching evangelist Steve Hill. There came a point at which, um, the go of an evangelist was just on him so much. And I think that um, part of the reason why Brownsville transitioned out, um, I mean, Brownsville itself continued at that point to really still be having what I would call revival services. It just wasn't quite the same as uh, from 95 to 2000. But, uh, and because that was the time period when I went to school, I was started going to the Brownsville Revival School of Ministry in 2002 they were still having amazing, incredible revival meetings at that point, just a little bit different. Um, it was what I would call a revived church instead of necessarily a, a straight up revival. Um, but Pastor Steve, Evangelist Steve was in a place where I think he really felt the call to take the move, not just in one location. That tension between having revival in just one location and then or affecting a nation with it was really something that was heavy on his heart, especially as he was probably the most um, incredible church historian, revival historian that I'd ever seen. I mean, he had a library that you could get lost in for days, uh, uh, apparently, with just revival history. Um, and I think that that might have been due to the fact that he had been mentored by Leonard Ravenhill. So revival history was very close to his heart. Um, I think he was very eager to see revival transition from a location to impacting the nation at large. And I'm not sure that quite worked, if I'm honest, because the United States, um, the United States, we were in a place at that time period, the internet was just beginning to be a thing. And I'm not sure that the revival, um, the momentum carried in that format, um, quite like, like Evangelist Steve wanted it to, if I'm honest. Yeah. Um, I think that America, the United States tends to be very, um, at this point in time, it, it's just very backslidden. It thinks it's saved when it's not. So it's difficult to take 
a group of people on the road pressing for revival from location to location, because first you have to convince people they're lost because they don't think they're not, they think they're saved. They think they're perfectly fine. And why do I need to actually have a relationship with Jesus? Um, so I think that moved kind of transitioned out based on that. I just don't think, I'm not sure if the United States was ready at that point. There wasn't enough of a prayer engine driving that move. Well, it's interesting. So I step back and I'm not connected to uh, John, Pastor John uh, or uh, Steve Hill um, mm-hmm. or the pastors in Mobile. Sure. But interestingly, reading through history of revival, my reading of those has always been they've stopped because humans somewhere get involved and we leave the divine to one side. It's almost like my insecurity could kick in, um, my inability to humble myself, or my desire to promote myself. Any one of those are a combination of them. And then not just one personality, you might have three or four or five of them kicking off at the same time. And it's not always moral sin. It's not like financial or sexual, but this sense of uh, an ego that might not have gone to the cross, a comparison and competitiveness that might not have died. Uh, And and so they're they're good lessons for for me to learn. But for us, as we are looking forward to what God may do, I often say to those who are in our community, it's a good time to be dying now, to be deciding how much money is enough money, to be deciding how we treat one another, how we handle conflict, uh, to be having conversations around what do we do if platforms became available? What do we do if money was more? Because wherever there's crowds, money comes, book deals come. And they don't, it doesn't sound very spiritual, but it's those things when the heart isn't dealt with oh, yes. that can get pulled in lots of different ways. Oh, yes. And so I, I know I don't, uh, those are so um, close to our own history, those two that I don't, I'm not obviously pointing any fingers at anybody there, um, but looking at history and just saying, that's interesting. Uh, uh, That humans that haven't been sanctified, that can even be used in a move of God, that if there's unresolved issues in their own heart, can it can still lead to division, disunity. And like you said, meetings can continue even because the momentum of revival is so big you know, the revival could stop and five years later, you're still feeling the effects of what really happened five years earlier, but yeah. people haven't realized it's not the same. Something's changed, but we're living in the afterglow of it. So, I mean, those are some of my observations. Yeah. And I, I guess I'm hearing that in a very gracious way without blaming any personalities, Absolutely. just the awareness. I, I have a conviction. I think the longest running revival in history that I'm aware of was the Wesleyan revival, nearly 60 years, uh, 50 to 60 years of conversions and church planting and the transformation of uh, both society in the UK and in the States. It was just uh, incredible what God did. And my prayer would be that as God begins to move again, that we would be able to steward and, you know, what he brings to us in the same way. And I, I think finances, platforms, with platform becomes profile. Sure. Those things dying and Jesus being center stage, which everybody would say, of course, he's center stage. But that really is, you know, John Wesley in his first year of work earned 28 pounds. 
at, which in 300 years ago was a lot of money sure. you could live on it. Oh, sure. Um, by the end of his life, he was actually earning over 1,500 pounds a year, which was a huge amount of money. Yeah. But he was still living on 33 pounds a year and it. giving everything else away. And that protecting himself against materialism That's was, right. I think, one of the key factors of God trusting him with so yeah. much. Instead of building a lavish lifestyle, living as though this was everything. So I, I didn't mean to go into all of that, but it's just, so I think valid. it'll be helpful for people as they watch this to understand that we need to steward what gives us what God gives us well as well. That's right. Because when revival comes, Pastor Steve, it will put such a magnifying glass on who you are and who you're not. I mean, when, when the bay broke out, nobody really knew who I was, which was perfectly fine. I was a worship pastor at a local church in a small town in Alabama. It doesn't get more obscure than, than small town Alabama in the United States. It's nowhere. And when the Lord came within a month of the revival, we were being broadcast on God TV live every service to over 200 nations of the world. So all of the sudden, and you know, I, I feel like, I feel like so strongly in our own lives in that revival, if Philippians two and the humility of Jesus hadn't been so central and if we had not been so delightfully surprised that God was moving again, I think that fame could have been so seductive, yeah. even though we would never dreamed it because it was such a drastic change. You go from normal small town church, good church, maybe not in revival yet, but good church, God's moving and it's growing all the right ways to suddenly being thrust into the international spotlight. If we had not been so married to Philippians 2, I think we could have had major pitfalls in that move. I really do. Yeah. And it, 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 we had to have this major revelation that it was the humility of Jesus that caused him to be highly exhausted, exhausted, highly exhausted. You will get highly exhausted in revival, I'll tell you that. But if, if it, we hadn't realized that it was the humility of Jesus that called him, caused him to be highly exalted, I think we could have been very trapped in a very serious problem. And it had to get to a point where... Um, I remember someone told me, uh, not, not at all, Pastor Patrick or Evangelist Nathan, someone else told me, listen, you need to engage the camera more during these revival meetings because there's more people watching you online or on television that are in the room. And I looked at him and I said, you know what? I love you. And I'm not going to do that because this is not some stupid TV show. This is a move of God. I don't even engage the people in the room like that. I am ministering to the Lord. And if everybody wants to tune in, they can, but I'm going to minister to him first. He's yeah. going to be my priority. And this is not going to turn into a game show because it's not. Yeah. And that's how, but when the magnifying glass of revival hits, fame becomes seductive, notoriety. Uh, you mentioned book deals. Hey, CD deals, we don't do it that way anymore. Worship albums, all of these things become so um, urgent, but they're not really important. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you have to, you have to get on the cross, stay on the cross, and die well, or you don't survive these things. You really don't. We're going to draw this to a close, Lydia. Really appreciate the rich, rich uh, nuggets of truth and wisdom that I've been able to glean from you today. Uh, in a moment, I'm going to ask you just to finish it with one thought that people can go away with. 
But before I ask that question, how best can people connect with you? If they'd like to know more about you, about Shake the Nations, how can they find you? The two best ways are to just visit shakethenations.com or any of my social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. It's all at Lydia S. Marrow, at Lydia S. Marrow. So that's just the easiest way to do that um, straight off the top. Um, we, our YouTube channel is um, shakethenations.com forward slash YouTube. And that's just got everything you could think of, including highlights from the Bay Revival. So thank you so, so much. So finally, just leave us one thought that you've got that those watching or listening today can take away for their own life. Something God is saying to you at the moment. The, at the moment, the, the word the Lord has been speaking to me the most about in this moment, which I believe is to keep our eyes on him ultimately. But the Lord spoke to me just the other day as I was on my way to preach somewhere here in the U.S. The Lord stopped me in my tracks and he said, I am the turnkey. And I said, what does that even like? I understood what turnkey ready was when you're house haunting. You, you understand that turnkey ready means that that it's you have to do nothing to prepare the place where you're, where you're looking at. You can just walk in the door and take possession, take occupancy. But he said, I am the turnkey. And I had to look it up in the dictionary. What it really means is a turnkey is the person who has hold of the keys. And I believe that in so many ways, just like in Acts chapter 12, Peter was on lockdown. He was in jail. Herod had thrown him there. Peter thought he was going to die the next morning. But what really happened was God sent an angel with the keys and unlocked the prison door, walked Peter right out of prison and put him right back where he was supposed to be. I believe that is such a picture of where the Western church has been. I believe we have been on lockdown. I understand that much of that hasn't been in the control of the church. It's not been, and, and I'm not here to get into, you know, all of the COVID stuff, but I believe that the church has been on lockdown in more ways than one, certainly higher than the pandemic. But I believe in this season, as we look to Jesus, I believe he's about to unlock I believe that he is going to open the doors that no man can shut. I believe he's going to shut the doors that no man can open. And I believe that really what's really happening is we're being forced to streamline our preparations for the move of God that's coming. I don't believe, uh, as we talked about even before the broadcast, I don't believe it's going to be so platform centric and so Sunday centric. I believe it's going to become the living, breathing uh, disciples of Jesus Christ, the church coming together in very real practical ways to host God and host him well. But the key to that is to look to him because he is the one who is the turnkey. I believe that he is the one we're looking for even more than revival. He himself is the reviver. I believe that as we look to him, he is going to do what only he can do in both the United Kingdom and the United States. I believe it with all my heart. Yeah. Wow. Amen to that. And thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I really, really appreciate it. And do say hi to both Nathans for me. I'll do it. Look to meeting them soon. Bless you. Please give our love to Esther and the kids and all the All Nations family. We love you all so much. It's truly been a joy. Thank you for hosting me, Pastor Steve. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. A reminder that we are on Spotify, Google, iTunes, and also uploading this to YouTube. Do follow us on the platforms that are best suited for you. And remember that the show notes are available at my website, steveopal.com.